Neighbor, I heard about your heresy, and we've made it our mission to win you back to the flock. No sale. Homer, Christian life isn't all praying and sacrifice. Hey, dig this. Welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So, hey, man, how's it going? Bro, what's up? Dude, we're pretty, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty excited right now. We, we just got the keys to the new apartment slash house that we're going to be moving into. The kingdom. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a two bedroom, two bath, and it has a garage and we're, we're like walking through it and I'm just like, we have so much room. We've only ever had one bedrooms and one bath. Right. Um, we've never actually lived somewhere that didn't have like a unit number, you know, like here's your street and then unit two or unit 106 or whatever um we we just have like an address so it's it's kind of Mm. exciting to to be somewhere like that um so yeah you know it's funny we just have an address here oh interesting but we live in a complex but like our unit number is is it's not written as a unit number like the unit numbers are just written as the the street number oh interesting so that it's it's not sense. unit 402. It's not so-and-so street unit 402. It's 402 so-and-so street. Oh, like, interesting. Which is a lot easier to write in, like, <laughs> when you're ordering stuff or, yeah. you know. That's interesting. But it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we're, we're basically, like, this week, we're going to load up car loads and take them over after I'm done with work each night. And then Saturday, we have some family with a U-Haul coming, and we're going to load up the big stuff and move so it's i mean this is the last time recording in this apartment at this silly desk with you know hannah just two feet behind me or whatever very soon we're gonna have a separate (laughs) office where i don't have to worry about being a distraction or you know cats running around and just all the you know the the neighbors downstairs who are always so noisy like (laughs) just all these things they don't listen (laughs) right they they definitely do not if they do thank you guys i meant nothing (laughs) um but yeah i mean the the floors are made out of like tissue paper it feels like no tissue paper it's that thin this Um, this isn't a middle school youth event no it's not but yeah how are you doing man Oh man, I mean it's good. Can't really complain, but I still do anyway because I guess that's just sin. <laughs> um, yeah, just busy with school and work. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing really like that exciting is going on. It, you know, like as far as classes or school or anything really interesting at work. It's just kind of just being busy. Um, yeah. Before it's hard to believe it's. No, go ahead. Go. Sorry. I was just gonna say it's hard to believe like October's wrapping up. Oh, I know. Like realizing Halloween is this week, and sorry, All Hallows Eve. I'm sorry, Reformation Day. Yeah, there you go. I was sorry, say. Harvest Festival. <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> well, Trump I was gonna retreat. say like, not gonna say anything, but I kind of dropped some hints on social media. Um, just gonna put the feelers out there. We might have an exciting partnership in the works. Just want to throw, mm, yeah, th- throw the the you know, 
cast cast into the waters and see what might come back but we're uh we're we're in the works of the boat and uh (laughs) just dropping that 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 hint there that something might be coming sooner than later yeah and i I think i think it's it's just rick this is a cool moment i feel like as we wrap up heresy month sadly or happily if you didn't like (laughs) it but um i really enjoyed it so sadly um and kind of look forward to some new things in terms of uh some sweet plan you know something cool that we're working on and then also just some new ways of approaching our scheduling um which i you know and planning ahead topics and and things like that which we've also kind of already talked about on social media um once we get things going you know in the next few weeks here we'll obviously um it'll become more clear kind of continuing this this uh trend of of series and themes instead of just one-off episodes i think is going to be something really cool i'm really looking forward to it um but before we can get to all that exciting stuff in the future um we are here on the last week the last tuesday of heresy month um and that means we have one more heresy to get through and uh today we're going to be talking about a doozy um, in some ways, this is like the OG of heresies, which I didn't think of when we were putting when we were scheduling it out, you know. But it is kind of cool to kind of end with basically the original heresy. I mean, this this heresy is in the Bible. I was gonna say, like, yeah, Paul talks about it. <laughs> John talks it's, about uh, it. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty old one. <laughs> like before there was a Bible, Christians were dealing with this, or at least forms of it. You know, I mean, it's. It's complicated, but we'll get into it. But without further ado, today we're talking about Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Genos. G- <laughs> Genosticism. <laughs> um, so Gnosticism, the reason it's Gnosticism is because it comes from the Greek Gnosis, which basically just means knowledge. Um, and like I kind of just alluded to, it's it's kind of a complicated... Uh, movement or ideology or or theology to kind of get a get a handle on because really it's not a single group or um, you know person that really kicks it off or typifies it it's really a a broad group or should I, I guess I should say groups of various religious and spiritual movements that were going on in the Greco-Roman world within the first few centuries um, of, uh, you know, common era or AD, depending on who you are, I guess. Um, And what we're going to be talking about today, obviously, since it's heresy month, is um, a particular strain of what is called Gnosticism and what people usually mean when they say Gnosticism is this um, group, which again, even within this, it's, it's multiple groups of heretical movements within Christianity that they have a lot of differences in their own beliefs and practices, but they do all share some basic presuppositions and some basic ways that they look at the world that kind of link them together um, and fit them in this box known as um, Gnosticism. 
And it's those distinctive, you know, common threads that we're going to focus on, I think, at least for the most part, because those are the things that separated the Gnostic groups from Orthodox Christianity and ultimately meant that they, they, they could not, you know, coexist in peace um, under the umbrella of Christian. Um, like, and, you know, like we said, it at least in an infant, you know, sort of proto-Gnostic form, um, the apostles directly address and, and like pretty explicitly too, um, like in some sense, you know, scripture deals with all the heresies, but in a, in a more specific sense, it doesn't, you know, talk about Nestorianism, which didn't exist yet, but it does talk about Gnosticism. We see, we see, especially in Paul, um, but also in, in, um, some, you know, like John's letters is another really big area of anti-Gnostic, um, leadership and preaching and teaching that that the apostles are doing so it's it's super interesting i think to to just kind of think about that and it is also i think very interesting to dive a little more into it because gnosticism is pretty weird at least in some strains of it and some aspects of it um but before we get into the weirdness um i don't know if there's any other sort of like introductory remarks that you had on your mind or that that you wanted to make sure we hit yeah um I mean, you already kind of touched on it, but it's it's really difficult to classify Gnostic beliefs because I don't know they were very malleable. They're they're they sort of at least the Gnosticism that plagued the early church was sort of like an amalgamation of Persian, Egyptian, Jewish, Christian, Greco-Roman, um, Greek philosophy. Like there there was just a lot that was sort of all muddled together, and so it can be difficult to you know, sort of navigate those murky depths. But um, I thought it was interesting. I I didn't, I don't know if you knew, if you knew this or know this or correct me if I'm wrong, but apparently many um, early Christians identified Simon of, of Acts 8, 9 through 24 as the first Gnostic. I don't know if you've ever heard um, that before. So it's funny. I I didn't, I was going to include something about that uh, in my prep but i decided not to because it was it didn't seem like super relevant but what i didn't know that until this semester in my patristics class when we were talking about um that time period and everything up and it's it's actually not just gnosticism but but simon the, the magus or whatever you know his the term for him would be um is kind of at least in the in the early church he's basically seen as like the the Pope of all heresies. Um, Or at least that's kind of how it's, you know, been how some of the books we've read this semester were. So that is, that is really interesting to like, they link him so directly. um, Right. And I just, like you said, I thought it was interesting that, you know, these other heresies we've talked about have been so new. And even though they might have some traces of what we can find in scripture, like Gnosticism is very, in a sense, biblical, but I don't mean that like that Gnosticism as a heresy is biblical, but like within the biblical canon, we have this development, this other, you know, we could just call it another religion, another philosophy. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see it combated in, in the Bible itself. So that's Definitely. all I wanted to say. Yeah. And we, you know, we don't have to spend too much time, but it, I think it is worth pointing out some specifics. Yeah. Um, we mentioned Paul, obviously. I mean, you know, most of the New Testament is Paul, so it's not. But um, 
in a couple of places I want to point to is, um, first of all, um, the book of Colossians is really anti-Gnostic. You know, what he's dealing with is we see people referencing, or Paul is referencing, um, worshiping of angels, um, which, as we'll see, is, is a is kind of a big deal within Gnosticism. We see people, you know, he he's talking about don't handle, don't touch, don't eat, don't drink, um, those those sorts of things, which will also come up as as we dive into sort of the characteristics of Gnosticism. But also, like, um, this will be clearer once we get into the way that. Um, Gnosticism, you know, described creation and and the divine being or beings. But you know, our favorite verse that we keep bringing up um, in in um, or not verse but passage, I guess, in Colossians one of, of the cosmic Christ of of that just profound few sentences there that right. just describes Jesus in in all of his glory as as God and Creator and Redeemer and man all at once really is just completely, you know, I, it didn't click for me until I was prepping this and I was referencing some books and it was like, wow, Paul wrote this to combat this false understanding of the divine. It you know? changes your whole framework. It's not just it's not just writing on a page. Like, again, it was written for right. a purpose, for a reason. He had an intention in wanting to combat a problematic teaching. Yeah, and it's like he, he's not just sitting there like, okay, I'm writing to the Colossians. Okay, I like these guys. You know, I remember meeting them when I planted the church, whatever. What am I going to say to them? Oh, I'm going to teach them about Jesus. Okay, what am I going to teach them about Jesus? I'm going to, oh, okay, I'll teach them this really cool thing about how he's, you know, how the fullness of deity dwells in him and all things hold with, together in him. And he, and oh, by the way, he's the creator of the world, you know, which is which is. I mean, you know, in some sense, that's good enough for me if Paul did yeah, just decide to. Say. But it's like, it's it's really, I don't know the word, like it, it, yeah, maybe, it like maybe punishes it. It gives it yeah. just like new energy almost when you recognize yeah. what he's actually doing. It, like, it feels like, it feels like it's fleshed out. Right. You know, that's a good um, way to like, think of it. it it's ooh, like, ooh, it, fleshed out. It's, did you... it's, inca- it's incarnational where it's like, right. he's, he, yeah, it's just, it's just so interesting where it's like, there's a problem, so I'm going to write to my children in the faith. And how am I going to com- combat that problem, that that specific problem that these specific people are facing? I'm going to point them to Christ in all of his divine glory as the creator and sustainer of all things. And it's like, that's kind of mind-blowing. And to... it's an interesting paradigm when you think about it. Like, I've known pastors who will say, like, I'm not going to call out certain things from the pulpit. To, to avoid being offensive, to vo- avoid uh, being misinterpreted or something. But Paul himself, in writing letters, very pastorally, very carefully and lovingly, very explicitly combats false teaching. And I think that, again, this might be setting a precedent maybe as, you know, this is how we ought to address heresy or just false teaching. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's really interesting. I, didn't, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a really good point. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just Colossians. We also see in 1 Corinthians, Paul does a very similar thing. Um, you, you know, in in the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, we see both, like, extreme asceticism and, like, really strict moralism. And on the opposite side, <laughs> just complete moral 
license to just do whatever, which funnily enough are both characteristic of Gnosticism, as we'll see. Um, and Paul addresses both of those and, and he addresses them by calling the, the Corinthians to a Christian way of interacting with the world, whether that's with uh, food and drink um, or, or marriage and sexuality. Um, we see this in, in chapter six, especially verse 12, and also chapter seven is kind of all, you know, it, it's a little bit more on the ground than the sort of like, uh, you know, cosmic Christ dealing with the, the, the cosmology and the, the creation stories of Gnosticism. And it's more dealing with the day-to-day practical stuff, but it is kind of, it is kind of helpful to just, to just look at the context of, of why Paul is dealing with, you know, why was the Corinthian church struggling with this extreme asceticism and this extreme license? Oh, it comes from these underlying influences of this alternative belief system that had sprung up that Paul's trying to address. And it all just kind of helps things to fit together. And like, like we said, feel a little more robust and full in how we are able to grasp a little bit better the the world that that these letters came out of and because they didn't drop out of the sky or come out of a vacuum um but yeah i don't know um very interesting to just in comparison with the other heresies we've studied to think about how you know this was sort of the fight that the apostles had you know and we can see like the trinity and then the incarnation, like these other fights that the church has had throughout history. Like this was sort of the fight of like the first fight, you know, um, that, that people like Paul and John and Timothy were dealing with. And we're able to catch a glimpse of that. It's not as well recorded as, you know, later councils and stuff, but we are able to catch a glimpse of that. Um, when, when we recognize the influences that are going on in, in the epistles that we see. And this is something that we still feel the ripples from today, like what, the the effects and the teachings, the underlying beliefs within Gnosticism are still alive and well. So, oh yeah, it's it's as relevant as ever. Definitely. Um, before we talk about those ripples, it might help to actually finally <laughs> eighteen minutes and define Gnosticism. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, it's how we do. That's how we be sometimes. It really do be that way. But <laughs> we are here um, now at this part of the outline. So, um, so Gnosticism, like we said, is 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 hard to pin down. So instead of saying like Gnosticism equals, I think it might be more helpful to kind of point out some things that Gnosticism did or tended to do. Hmm. Um, and one of the most distinctive is to look at the the their cosm like i mentioned the cosmology their account of creation the the way they saw the spiritual realm and the physical realm and the interaction of the two um those sorts of things um were really important for gnosticism so we actually have a lot of information you know historically about that kind of stuff um they had the different I, I keep saying they because there there's more than one you know, Gnostic group that, that comes up and they usually didn't like each other because they didn't agree with each other. Um, so it's easier to kind of just talk about them instead of like, you know, a single 
group or a single church or whatever. Um, but so there's, I, I don't know if you'd call them polytheistic in this sense, in like a traditional like Greek sense, um, at least the way I think of that word. Um, but they've got these long and convoluted lists of all these different divine beings who some are more divine than others. Um, they, they're called archons or, or eons. Um, this is kind of what I think Paul's getting at when he's talking about people worshiping angels. Um, I think more specifically, he's, he's talking about people worshiping these various archons or, or eons or whatever you want to call them, which are basically these spiritual beings hierarchically arranged um, leading up to sort of uh, a God or the divine or whatever, you know, whatever term they might have for that. And that hierarchy is really important because you, you could be like more divine or less divine, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like there was just deity, like you're either creator or your creature, sort of a binary thing. They had more of this flow chart of, how far removed from the physical world you are meant you were more or less, uh, you know, more or less divine, more or less um, spiritual. And that's really important because they had this very strict matter-spirit dualism where they wanted to get away from matter and wanted to get to the spirit is maybe one way to put it. Um, So to get an idea of... I wanted to read something from from Irenaeus um, in his in his classic work Against Heresies. He is a second century church father. He deals a lot with Gnostics um, in his Against Heresies, um, and he kind of um, tears them down. But in the process, he also like really exhaustively explains what they believe. So he's really helpful, I think. Um, so I'm just gonna read like a, a short quote where he is quoting what this guy named Secundus believes. Um, So Secundus says, There is a certain proarche before all things, above all thought, which I call monotes. And again, with this monotes, there reigns a power, which I call henotes. And, you know, he he goes on to talk about these, these you know, there's the first tetrad, and then after the tetrad, there's you know, the one, and then there's this intelligible RK, and then underneath the monad, there's a power, and it's just like, it goes on and on and on, and it, and it's, you know, you got to make a chart just to, just to keep track of, of how these different divine beings relate to each other, um, and the silliness of it, Irenaeus really points out well, <laughs> um, and he basically says, okay, well, the way he talks, he's clearly just making up these names to just stick on this variety of beings. So I'm going to do the same thing. And then this is Irenaeus now talking. Um, (laughs) This is the power, which I call the gourd. There is with it the power, which I call super emptiness. This gourd and super emptiness being one emitted yet did not emit the fruit visible and edible and delicious, which is known to language as the cucumber. With this cucumber, there is a power of light quality with it, which I call the melon. These powers, the gourd, super emptiness, the cucumber, and the melon. And it, it, it's just like... It's the first VeggieTales. It's the, it's the, the original <laughs> VeggieTales was just Irenaeus dunking on Gnostics. 
Um, but like he's he's able to do that because it it's just this confused and ultimately meaningless list of archons that none of them can agree on who the archons even are, let alone what makes them worthy of worship or whatever. Um, and I don't know, that might be a little esoteric and kind of out there, but I thought it was worth highlighting. Um, and also I think it's hilarious. To that read. was, yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's one particular sort of archon we can focus on known as the Demiurge, um, which basically just means fashioner, like the, the, like he makes, like the one who makes. And the Demiurge is this this lesser god, um, kind of like not a very good god. Um, and again, it's even hard to talk about who the Demiurge is because all the different groups had sort of a different understanding of what hmm. the Demiurge was. But basically he or it is the one who created the material world. Some groups said this was like an act of like pride and evil, or maybe it was an accident. But basically, it it was a bad thing, um, because because like we said before, there's this strong dualism where matter is bad, spirit is good. Um, and on that note, we certainly see in scripture references to where you know the spiritual things are higher than the physical things. But what we're talking about with Gnosticism is spirit and spiritual things being seen as good over and against all matter and physical things which were intrinsically bad and needed to be rejected or gotten rid of or escaped which is very different than the what the biblical witness points us to in terms of while we recognize we set our our minds on things above that doesn't result in a complete and utter rejection of all things physical. Right. right? I mean, God still created the world good. Everything in it was good. Even if it was, you know, even if sin was in the world. But. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and <laughs> we, we can see right away, like, you've got this, first of all, the Demiurge is a lesser God amongst many gods. But second of all, the act of creation is not a good thing. Hmm. You know, whether it was an accident or he's an evil God or whatever, like the point is we don't, we don't, Gnostics don't, you know, they don't look around at the world and say, and it was good, you know, Um, and they can't because they have this dualism. Um, And that is sort of the, the underlying issue is that, you know, the elect, the, the, you know, humans, whoever they, they possess a, a divine spark that is trapped in their physical body it's trapped in the material world and they need to escape or transcend the physical in order to achieve salvation um, and then the reason it's called gnosticism is because the way of salvation the way to escape the material world is based on knowledge it's based on special specific knowledge that that, that you know each gnostic sect claimed claimed held to, to hold to and where this fits into Christianity is these were people who said that Jesus gave this special knowledge to his apostles and it was passed on orally separately from the scriptures because not everyone who was a Christian was going to be the you know the elect the special 
people who were able to handle this knowledge that would get them, you know, out of the physical world after death. And, and so you have this sort of like secretive element of this knowledge being passed down. Um, and the knowledge was meant to awaken that person's soul um, so that they could re-enter the spiritual realm. Um, a lot of the time, I, I think the knowledge was was basically like passwords that you needed to memorize. So like as you're like traveling through the spirit realm, you're meeting these different archons, you'll be able to know the, the right, you know, the right, the, the, the keys to open all the doors to get you to where you want to go. Um, and there's a lot, I mean, there's so much to, to pick apart with that, just the implications. Why is Jesus incarnate? Well, they would say Jesus wasn't incarnate because he couldn't be because God wouldn't come into the physical world. What does that mean for our, you know, like the resurrection <laughs> if if matter is evil and our bodies are being rejected you, you, you know like there, there's a lot there's a lot there um right and, and there's a reason that paul and john and anybody else would have wanted to write to combat this because you know even if a lot of it seems so just far out there even if it seems like that doesn't even sound remotely christian the problem was is that there were just like today there's the temptation um to you know innocent people fall victim especially if you're illiterate if you're somebody who you know maybe especially if the canon hasn't been canonized yet if we if we don't have the scriptures uh, available to read at least in their totality like the, the common person can get caught up in you know the fantastic nature of of gnosticism because in a sense like when you think about even people today what are people drawn to like they like the the biggest most exciting movies um, you know, TV shows that they can just become ingrained and entrenched in. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, ancient Gnosticism and any of its modern equivalents, in a sense, I think are, um, I don't know if this, if this is the right word, but like revolutionary um, because, I don't know, they, se they seem to like view God's good order in creation as inherently oppressive as inherently evil or wrong and they try to, to to overturn it so they're trying to it's like a revolution to overcome the way that things are the reality uh, that is ingrained within the world that was created um, and so that the idea that you know that a person should live within and under the authority of God in his creation is something that like to a Gnostic or to somebody who might have a similar ideology today, it's, I don't know, a repulsive thought to them, I guess, to, to think that, um, you know, I guess, you know, being human means creating your own identity. You know, that's something that I think a lot of people today would believe and affirm or, uh, being a fulfilled human means obeying your, your inner feelings. Um, freedom is found by looking within. Uh, these are just some of the, again, modern equivalents maybe of, of ancient Gnosticism, that there's this knowledge that is attainable. Sometimes it's found within, sometimes it's found without, um, but it's not found within reality. It's found within our perceptions of the world around us. And um, I don't know, really, I guess, like freedom is only found by escaping really what is the natural reality, the natural order, which, 
now I feel like I'm just rambling, but one of the thoughts that comes to mind, I can't even remember where I where I read it and who said it. Um, so if, if you know, or if one of our listeners know, um, please tell me who it was. But um, there's this, there, there's a someone who said that um, basically that truth is stranger than fiction. Um, reality is stranger than fiction in the sense that anything that's fiction, any story, any man-made ideology, any man-made philosophy, um, any, any, any of the craziest, most complicated movies or books that you've ever read, it was still conceived within the mind of a man who's finite. Um, whereas truth, reality, was conceived within the mind of God, the one who created all things, the one who spoke everything into being out of nothing. I mean, I was driving down the road the other day, and I was thinking about like, man, even just driving like 30 minutes, the amount, the amount of land that I traverse, um, the different terrains, like the hills, the, um, the mounds and caves, and just all the things that you go by, the trees, um, when you really stop and, and consider the complexity of the things around us, like reality is in a sense, stranger, more grand, more, I, I don't, I don't know a better word, just unbelievable, I guess. Um, and so to me, that's part of why Gnosticism is so problematic is, I mean, again, it's human philosophy, um, but even as it seeks to be especially spiritual, finding this hidden special revelation, this knowledge that is only attainable by, you know, a select few, um, it still falls so short of, of, again, I'll say it for the thousandth time, reality. And I think, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if you want to jump in or say anything here at this point, but I feel like I'm just rambling now. No, no, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. Um, I, and I think you're spot on with a lot. And I think that we really see that in a variety of ways. Like you said, seeking that knowledge is maybe it's found in you. Maybe it's from without, maybe it's, you know, finding your own destiny or whatever, but sometimes it's a very, you know, quote unquote spiritual or religious or even Christian quote unquote source for that even today. Um, I found this quote by um, somebody who I, I, I'm not familiar with. I, I think I, I read he's a televangelist. I, I, I don't know anything about him. I'm not here to, you know, whatever. But so there's this this quote. He says, um, uh, he, so he says, I've come to know I'm a spirit being who has a soul and lives in a body. But the real me is my spiritual person. And it's in the spirit that I've been totally changed and made just like Jesus. And that's problematic to say that the real me is my spirit and I have a soul and I'm just in my body or in a body. It doesn't even say in my body. And like, like I said earlier, like where's the resurrection in that? Like, mm. where does it, where does it, he's not denying the resurrection here, but my question to him would have to be like, how does the very physical resurrection of Jesus that Paul says, if the resurrection isn't physical, we should stop being Christians <laughs> right. flat out. He literally says, if the resurrection isn't physical, there is nothing else about our faith worth maintaining. Um, how does that fit in with a system where, I'm looking for knowledge. I'm looking for my identity, which is in my, you know, my, my spirit or my emotion or however, however, you know, whichever 
expression of this idea where whether we're talking about ancient Gnostics or you know New Age sort of you know I don't know I don't, philosophy seems like too nice of a I mean I don't know if it counts as a philosophy but <laughs> like New Age you. stuff yeah <laughs> um, or you know modern day Christian thought that sort of expresses itself in this way this very dualistic way hmm. um i don't know it's it's uh i mean even john so in, in second john uh verse seven he says many deceivers have gone out into the world they do not confess the coming of jesus christ in the flesh this is the deceiver and the antichrist um yep that's that's like Again, to your point, what is the point of the incarnation? What is the point of, um, you know, what Jesus did not assume cannot be healed or, or however that is, is worded? Um, like, what is what is the point of him coming um, as a man? And may, may, again, maybe, you know, within Gnosticism, there's the confession that he wasn't actually a man. Um, but if we're going to read the, the the biblical account faithfully, we have to say that, of course, Jesus was a man. He, he lived... He, he cried, he hungered, he, he thirsted, he, he did the very things that all of us humans do, um, yet was was God. And that, yeah, what, so what happens on Easter? What, what is the resurrection? Right. What is all of the New Testament talking about this anticipated, this day coming where we're going to, where we too will be resurrected? Um, it just, if, if you're going to consider yourself a Christian, I just don't. I just don't see how how a Gnostic understanding of the world could be any anything close, or what you know that televangelist that you that you quoted. I just I don't understand how that could be true. Yeah, and I think that it, I I just think it can't be true. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and I mean I know it's easy for me to say that, but um, I think you know to sort of wrap things up a little bit, um. The last point I want to make about the, the tendency of Gnostic belief um, has to do with something you said where you said, if we're going to read the biblical account faithfully, we're going we're gonna to come away with the idea that, um, that Jesus was a man. And I think that that's really key if we're going to read the biblical account faithfully. And I, I'm not here trying to say that you know every Gnostic person ever was deliberately misinformed interpreting the text but what i will say is what we have is a not so consistent faithful solid christian reading which which allows for or leads to these kinds of beliefs like that he didn't really become incarnate he just looked like he was or or things like that and you know particularly in regards to the old testament which was the scripture at this time um and there is no Christianity without the Old Testament, um, which might be in, might be another episode, but I just want to kind of assert that here. Um, but the Gnostics tended to devalue the Old Testament, you know. And this is another thing that I think we'll all be familiar with in a different form today. And, you know, I'm sure we've all heard or read, you know, God of the Old Testament versus God of the New Testament. You know, God is evil he, or, or, or mean or wrathful or angry in the Old Testament, and, and he's loving and he's merciful and he's kind in the New Testament. Um, and w- when you devalue or the, the Old Testament or kind of set it up against the New Testament, um, there's, there's only 
there's only so many places that that can lead you, you know. Some Gnostics completely rejected the Old Testament. Others reinterpreted it in in a way that that really just made it unrecognizable in terms of its meaning. Like there 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 is literally an interpretation of Genesis 3 or I should say like some would interpret Genesis 3 in a way that the serpent becomes the hero of of the story, which is like I don't even care about the theological debate at this point. It's more just like what kind of what kind of reading are you doing? Whether you think <laughs> whether you think the serpent should be celebrated or not, how do you read Genesis 3 <laughs> and come away with the idea that Genesis 3 is telling us the serpent is the hero? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's it, <laughs> <laughs> Seems a little far fetched to me. Yeah, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm sure I don't. But it's just like things like that where it's like, like to, to, again to wrap it back to your to your point to to kind of you know, we need to be careful with how we read scripture. Not that we're going to get it right 100 percent of the time. Not that we're right about every doctrine we hold. Not that we're never going to grow in our knowledge. But we, as the church, need to take it seriously and be careful with how we read because there is such a thing as a false reading. <laughs> you know, there is such a thing as saying, no, Genesis 3 is not a text that teaches that the serpent, um, you know, challenging and egging on the, the man and the woman to rebel against God. It was a good thing. Whatever you want to do with that, we'll have that debate next. But like, there is such a thing as like, we need to be, like you said, faithful. We need to be careful. We need to be fair and recognize that the text is what the text is. And handle it in such a way that that keeps you know keeps it keeps it uh, doesn't doesn't compromise its integrity as a text. Hmm. Um, and I think that is one of many issues with Gnosticism, and and you know with a lot of things that we see today that are influenced by Gnosticism, um, like like we've mentioned. Um, and I just think that the, that those are it, it's fitting that we we sort of accidentally put Gnosticism at the end of our Heresy Month. Because it is like one of the oldest problems that the apostles dealt with. Um, and it is so relevant today in, in terms of different things that, um, cr- you know, crop up um, in in our culture and, and in, in church culture. Um, and really these things that we've highlighted, I think, um, you know, a matter-spirit dualism that just gets taken out of control um, and, and, and a not careful faithful reading of of the text as god's word um you know we can really see the way that that caused all the the issues that gnosticism had and then i think also recognize how these are things that crop up today where people aren't careful with the text or we do overemphasize this 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 separation between matter and spirit um to the point where we see them as two opposed forces and I think we see a lot of the same problems today that we that 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 John and Paul were seeing two thousand years ago. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's any concluding thoughts you have, but that's all that I have sort no, of come that, come with. That was good. So we'll uh, we'll wrap up Tuesday Heresy Month at least. We'll, we'll have an episode Friday, um, but we'll, we'll wrap up this episode with with uh, praying through Proverbs one one through seven. 
uh, out of the CSB, uh, it titles this The Purpose of Proverbs. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a pro- uh, for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, True dude. wisdom. Bro, what you reading? I am so prepared for this Are one. Are you? I'm so excited about it, too. I'm reading a book, as you just heard my other book fall off the shelf, maybe, um, by Yaroslav Pelikan, who was a, um, basically, my understanding is he's more or less like the greatest church historian ever or something. (laughs) Um, But so he wrote a book that I just started yesterday called Mary Through the Centuries, Mary Through the Centuries, and he it's kind of doing what it says on the box. He is tracing um, doctrines and practices and devotions and beliefs, <laughs> doctrines and devotions um, about Mary um, throughout history, throughout the centuries of the church. And he's sort of, um, I haven't gotten very far. Like I said, I've just read the first chapter, um, which kind of covers the... Um, relevant scripture texts where we have Mary present and he kind of sets out like some of the different themes that he's going to explore later, like her being, um, you know, seeing her as mother, seeing her as, as the new Eve, um, things like that. Um, but I'm very, very excited. I've become recently very intrigued by and excited about and just interested in, in doing um, and thinking through um, a you know, Mariology, a, th- a theology of, of the Virgin Mary, and and just um, it, it's it's super exciting to to start this um, because it, it's just such a it seems like it's gonna be such a good resource of just different things people have believed and why and and sort of helpful to kind of get a lay of the land when we look at like you know a pretty broad category of you know two thousand years of of Mary. You know, that's, there's a lot there. So I, I think this is going to be a really helpful um, helpful sort of way to condense that where I can actually, you know, read some of it. <laughs> Sweet. Sounds interesting. I So I was at um, Half Price Books the other day, and it's always interesting when you go to a thrift store or like a, a bookstore and you, you peruse the theology section, just some of the books that... <laughs> It's like, first of all, who publishes these and why do people buy them? And like, where are all the good books? <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, yeah, so this, that was irrelevant. But other than I, I saw some, um, there was a Catholic section and there were a bunch of books on on Mary and I was tempted to get them, but didn't have the, the funds necessarily. But but anyway, it was interesting to see a lot of the, um, I, I was actually kind of more interested in, in those types um, of books as opposed to the christian living section as they called it i was like i don't want any of these (laughs) yeah Um, but uh so i also 
came a little bit prepared, um, though I have not, I've barely scratched the surface of this book, but it's called Jesus, the Great Philosopher, um, Rediscovering the Wisdom Needed for the Good Life by Jonathan T. Pennington. And this book just dropped literally onto the desk. That's what that noise was. But also it literally just, literally just dropped uh, to bookstores near you. Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than just reading the brief description on the back because, again, I've, I've just started. But um, it says, Pennington helps us recover the lost biblical image of Jesus as the one true philosopher. Jesus teaches us what is good, right, and beautiful and offers answers to life's biggest questions. Um, and so really, I mean, just by perusing uh, the table of contents, uh, you know, it talks about philosophers and martyrs, uh, the genius of ancient philosophy, um, philosophical big ideas in the Old and New Testament. Um, I don't know. It's it's a very philosophical book, one that I think will be uh, very interesting and engaging. So I'll, I'll offer more insight hopefully next week when I'm not busy, you know, packing and getting ready to move and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a ton of reading time. Yeah, I saw that coming. I saw a lot about that as it was coming out, but um, I have not picked it up so i'd love to hear more super definitely it really you know one of those just one of those topics where i can sit here and say that's so interesting but i I, i've never spent any time and don't see myself having the time compared to everything else that i'm more interested in but that's why i'm excited for people who read books i don't and then they can tell me about them and that's awesome (laughs) um so anyway Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes, all of that jazz. You can sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, hopefully we will hear from you. But if not, we'll see you next time.